You're listening to Funky Monkey MMA. Listening to Funky Monkey MMA. Welcome back to another edition of Funky Monkey MMA. I am Kane Miller, and I am joined by Matt Webb, one of our newest writers for the site. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Kane. How about you? Pretty good. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to breaking down this card. Uh, for this episode, we're going to be looking at UFC 209. Pretty interesting card here. We have a very interesting main event and co-main event, so I'm looking forward to it. We're going to be doing this like we always do. We're going to be breaking down the entire fight card from bottom to top. So we're going to be starting from the very first fight pass prelim and then work our way up to the main event. So without further ado, we'll go ahead and jump right into it. The first fight on UFC Fight Pass is a Bantamweight matchup between Albert Morales and Andre Saskamathan. I believe I'm pronouncing that right. Um, <laughs> so this is, uh, this is kind of an interesting little fight. So Albert Morales... He's had some. He's had a little bit of a struggle in the UFC so far. Um, he fought to a draw against Alejandro Perez, and then uh, had the he faced the very tough Thomas Almeida in a second fight after that, where he uh, was defeated by second round TKO. Morales, he he's mainly a striker. He likes to keep the fight on the feet, though he can get very overly aggressive with his strikes. He tends to really leave his chin out there, and he, he likes to kind of headhunt and throw some wild strikes in there, but that ultimately kind of takes a toll on his defense, and that's what happened in the Almeida fight, and so I think he really needs to tighten up his defense if, in order to get that on the same level as his offense, and then his opponent, uh, Andre Sofkemasov, he uh, is a UFC newcomer. He's also a striker, but I would say his style is just a little bit more polished. He does throw some wild stuff in there. He throws, like, some flying knees, elbows, things of that nature. And he's had some good success outside of the UFC thus far. And uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing him make his debut. But, uh, Matt, what are your thoughts on this matchup? Albert Morales. I don't understand how the UFC, you know, he's 0-1-1, like you said. I mean, they immediately put him, after his draw and his debut, they just gave him the co-main event slot against a straight-up killer in Thomas Almeida. Which, I mean, you saw the holes in his game, but I think also in that fight you saw his potential. I mean, yeah, his stand-up is it's raw, but it's very fluid, and he's very controlled in what he's doing. I mean, a lot of people go out there and just freak out against Thomas Almeida, but he was catching Thomas Almeida in the first round periodically throughout that fight. Mm-hmm. And then he just got overwhelmed like everybody does against Thomas Almeida, and he's young, and he's inexperienced. I mean, 25 years old, and they put him against one of the best in the division. So I'm actually seeing Albert Morales getting the win here. Um, Like you were saying, Andre, yeah, his fight against Cody Norby outside the UFC, 
where he pretty much just had a war throughout the entire fight. And then yeah. the fifth round had that flying knee KO. He seems, like you were saying, he's polished. He's The one thing I noticed throughout watching his fights is he's calm. He's extremely mm-hmm. calm. Throughout the entire fights, he's extremely calm. He doesn't get impatient. He's very relaxed. He has great timing. His striking is extremely good, and he's a finisher. I mean, seven knockouts, three submissions. He only has one decision and has 11 wins. I mean, I think it's going to be a humdinger of a fight. I'm actually pretty excited for the first fight of this card. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of a fight that I think is flying under a lot of people's radars um, because I'm expecting, like, a really, really fun striking matchup here. Uh, Both guys can be very unpredictable with their offense. Like you said, Andre, yeah, very calm and very collected in there. It seems that, like, we've seen him kind of taken down. Sometimes some stuff not quite go his way, but he just remains calm throughout the entire time, just kind of waits for his openings and goes in for the kill when he needs to. Um, I'm actually I'm leaning towards Andre in this matchup. I think that Morales, he did just get a really, really rough matchup. For his last fight, like you said, I mean, he just fought a killer in Thomas Almeida, who's one of the best prospects at bantamweight right now. But at the same time, his over-aggressiveness does worry me against a guy like Andre, who, like you said, is such a good finisher. I think that it is possible that Morales could get a little bit too carried away on the feet and then leave himself open to being countered here. So you're taking Andre? Yeah, I got to lean towards Andre here. I think it could go either way, but I'm, I'm ever so slightly leaning towards Andre here. See, I'm I'm just banking on the jumps that young fighters can make. That's what I'm banking mm-hmm. on. I mean, okay. Albert Morales, I mean, he's 25 years old. And, I, and Andre's last fight against Ken Moy, that fight, he was getting he was getting outstruck in that fight, and he was getting mm-hmm. countered, and he was getting blitzed. And I just, I'm going to lean towards Albert Morales. I got Albert Morales actually winning a decision. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I, I could definitely see that happening. I I am leaning towards Andre ever so slightly. I think either a decision or maybe a TKO in the second or third round. But either way, I'm expecting a really, really fun fight here. And uh, with that, we'll move on to the second UFC Fight Pass prelim, the women's strawweight matchup between Amanda Cooper and Cynthia Calvillo. Amanda Cooper, she's mostly well-known for her time on The Ultimate Fighter. Uh, she also fought Invicta a little bit, and she's coming off of her first UFC win against Anna Elmas back in November. Uh, she's pretty good both on the feet and on the ground. I'd say her biggest strength would be her boxing, but her jiu-jitsu has been improving over the years. Um, Cynthia Calvillo, she uh, fights on Team Alpha Male, I believe, and she looks like a really solid prospect outside the UFC right now. She's only 3-0, and but she's looked really good in her fights thus far. Um, she's really, really dominant grappler, really good wrestling, mixes in her jiu-jitsu quite well. She has a pretty good uh, amateur career, and that's transitioned well into her professional career. But, uh, Matt, what are your thoughts on this matchup? I, Amanda Cooper, like you were saying, she's extremely well-rounded. She has a Good stand-up, except, I mean, the chink of her armor, which you alluded to, is her submission. She got her last win against uh, Ana Elmos, and I watched that fight, and it's, Ana Elmos is perceiving to be a, I'm not going to say disappointment because how young she is, but Amanda <clears throat> Cooper took that fight, and that was a very competitive fight, and we're starting to see that Ana Elmos, who is a very good fighter, 
but I'm not sure if she's actually a UFC caliber yet. Yeah. So with that fight, Amanda Cooper, it was very competitive. It was a good fight. It was a fun fight to watch. It was extremely competitive. And I actually think Cynthia, because she has good takedowns, it's just a bad matchup for Amanda Cooper, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. Cynthia has good takedowns, good transitions. I mean, she's tough as nails. She has really good cardio. And Amanda Cooper's Achilles heel is, I mean, it's her jiu-jitsu. And Cynthia, in her three fights, yes, it's only three, but it's not like Amanda Cooper is out there and just a wily vet. I mean, she's only three and two. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I could see I could see it being a competitive matchup. I think it depends on the jumps Amanda Cooper is making. But I could see it being competitive, but I could see Cynthia just going in there and just grinding out a win, takedown after takedown, and just nipping that at that Achilles heel that Amanda Cooper has, which is their submission game. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I think that, you know, we really saw, especially at the Ultimate Fighter finale against Tatiana Suarez, Amanda Cooper's uh, Achilles heel is definitely it's it's her defensive grappling you know when fighters can take her down and control her Cooper just has a really tough time mounting any kind of offense and I think that that's why Cavillo is going to be such a tough matchup for her you know yeah she's only three and but I mean she's she's like she dominated everyone that they put in front of her I mean she takes you down she creates little space, and I think that that's going to make it tough for Cooper to be active off of her back. And Cynthia, she also keeps her opponents very busy with submission attempts. She's really good when she gets her opponents back, and she's constantly looking for the choke. And then when she's not doing that, she's just battering them with ground and pound. And so, yeah, I think that Kavila will be able to score with her takedowns because she's just relentless with her pressure. And I think that she can put Cooper on her back and either control her to get the decision, or I think that she can find an opening either by submission or TTO by ground strikes. I, I think that either of those could be possibilities. I agree with you. I can see where Amanda Cooper could get a decision here, but I, I'm kind of on the same boat that you are. I, I see Cynthia winning by – I actually have her by submission in round one, mm-hmm. and just by going out there – just dominating the grappling transitions, getting a takedown, and Amanda Cooper just freaking out on bottom and then letting a rear naked choke submission, something of that nature in the first round. But I could also see her winning a decision. Uh, It's just a bad matchup for Amanda Cooper in my eyes. Yeah, yeah, I agree 100%. Cooper will, like, without a doubt want to keep this on the fight because her boxing is a little bit more technical than Kavila, who's primarily a grappler, but... With Cynthia's constant pressure, I just don't think that Amanda's going to be able to get anything going on the feet. I think that Kavila is just going to swarm her with her takedowns, take her down uh, just at will, and then I think she's going to open her up with ground and pound and either force the stoppage with that or use that to find an opening for a submission either in the first or second round. But either way, I see Cynthia Kavila getting her, getting her hand raised thanks to her grappling. So with that, we move on to the final fight pass prelim. Tyson Pedro taking on Paul Craig in a light heavyweight matchup. Uh, Matt, give us your thoughts on this fight. I mean, Paul Craig's nickname is the Bear Jew, so <laughs> I just don't I just don't know what else to say. I mean, I'm I'm extremely pumped about this because Tyson Pedro, he came in against Khalil Roundtree and there's a buzz around him and you can see why there is a buzz around him. He's tough as nails. 
his top game jujitsu is extremely, extremely good. I mean, four of his fights are by finishes, and they're all submissions by rear naked chokes or a guillotine. And he does have one win. He's 5-0, and and that one win is by knockout. From a jiu-jitsu perspective, this fight, it's going to be gangbusters. I'm pretty excited. Tyson Pedro, he's 25 years old. And the only thing that leaves pause with his game is in that Khalil Roundtree fight, he got sat down in that first round. Mm-hmm. If you remember that, it was just a perfect shot by Roundtree, and it sat down Tyson Pedro. Yeah. But in his UFC debut, he didn't he didn't shy away from that. He battled back. He, he he seems extremely durable, and he has that grinding style. And eventually, he just overwhelmed Quill Roundtree and got the submission. So I'm excited about this fight for Tyson Pedro's potential. But the Bear Jew, man, oh my goodness, <laughs> the Bear Jew. He's he's also slick on the ground. He has a great bottom jujitsu game. So that's what that's the part in this matchup that I'm most excited to see is if Tyson Pedro, if they get clinched up and Tyson Pedro gets it to the ground, then we're going to be watching a good top jiu-jitsu game versus a very well, well-rounded bottom jiu-jitsu game. And that's the matchup I'm looking to see in this fight is I, I hope it goes to the ground. Like I'm hoping, I'm hoping they just forget starting me on the feet and just start them on the ground because this is what I want. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and you know it. It will inevitably go to the ground. I think, like you were saying, both guys are grapplers at heart. Tyson Pedro, very good from on top. He, of course, has that great rear naked choke. Once he gets your back, he is is just he's lightning quick when he finds those chokes. Man, he just is great at finding those openings. And Paul Craig, he's a he's kind of a taller, lankier guy. He's six four. But he does a really good job of using that size. Like like you were saying, when he goes to the ground, he just he immediately starts wrapping up his opponents in submission attempts. So they're guillotines, triangles, arm bars, whatever it is, he just ties them up and is relentless with his submission defense. And so I think that that's why this is such an interesting matchup, because Tyson Pedro is so good from on top, but Paul Craig is very active on the when he's on his back. And so that it'll get really interesting once it inevitably goes to the ground. Um, I am leaning towards Paul Craig ever so slightly. I think that he's a, just a little bit more technical with his ground game. He's a little bit more technical with his jiu-jitsu. Tyson Pedro, he can get a little bit carried away at times with his offense. And I think that could leave some openings for Craig to capitalize. But, um, yeah, who do, you, who do you see winning here? See, I'm in, I'm in agreement with you on – how Tyson Pedro, he can't, that 25 years old 5-0 and shows like it did in the Roundtree fight. Yeah. And Paul Craig, the the X factor in this fight to me is Paul Craig's deceiving stand-up. It's, mm-hmm. he, uses, he uses a lot of kicks, and he's very, like you say, he's very long. And the dude uses kicks just, like, just to create a distance. And that's mainly why he uses kicks. However, in his last fight against who he tapped out, uh, Enrique De Silva, who's also a very good jiu-jitsu player, he was using yeah. kicks to set up the takedowns. Even, and he's not even really a takedown artist. So mm-hmm. I just think, in my opinion, I can, even though Tyson Pedro came out and he won his UFC debut, he's very highly touted, 5-0. But I just think they're both 1-0, and 
but the records are different. The Bear Jew is he's more of a veteran. I think the length is going to be an issue, and the X factor is going to be the Bear Jew striking. What I think is going to happen is that I have the Bear Jew chewing Tyson Pedro up throughout two rounds and then inevitably getting the submission by a desperate takedown from Pedro. So I got Paul Craig's submission round two. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm in agreement there. I think that uh, for Paul Craig, and we were saying like how good he is on the back. He's also really good when he's on top, too. He has really good ground and pound, good elbows. He does a good job of really cutting open his opponents. And that experience edge for him, I think, will be a big advantage. I I think that, yeah, Craig's stand-up is going to be more polished here, and Pedro's lack of experience, I think, will show. I think that both guys will clinch up pretty early, but I think that Craig will get the better of the striking exchanges from a distance, thanks to his kicks and his range. And I think that when it does inevitably go to the ground, Paul Craig, I think, is going to tie him up with his submissions and either submit him from the bottom or even sweep to the top and get the submission there. But either way, I see Paul Craig getting his hand raised by submission. All right, and with that, we will move on to the televised prelims on Fox Sports 1. Kicking off that uh, this portion of the card, we have a heavyweight matchup with Mark Godbeer taking on Daniel Spitz. Uh, Mark Godbeer, he made his UFC debut in his last fight. When he fought Justin Ledette, he came up short with a first-round rear-naked choke loss. Uh, but he, he seems to be a pretty – he's a pretty experienced guy, um, and he has finished all of his fights. He's kind of one of those guys who either finishes, oppo- finishes his opponent or he gets finished himself. Has some decent stand-up and some decent ground-and-pound, too. Uh, his opponent, Daniel Spitz, he's only 5-0. and This will be his UFC debut. And he's fought pretty much only on the regional circuit. He hasn't fought uh, any big names so far. Like, like the biggest name that he fought was probably Cabbage Cojera, and that's when he, he fought him to a decision. Daniel Spitz, he's beaten everyone they put in front of him, but I've noticed that he hasn't fought a very high level of competition. Like, Cojera is probably the toughest guy he has fought uh, in his career. Uh, everyone else has has been a lot of like zero and one guys and uh, you, you guys that you guys that I don't that I think you can face early on in your career, but they're not really justifiable to earn a shot in the UFC. And I think that's going to make things really difficult for Daniel Spitz here. But uh, Matt, what are your thoughts here? I'm kind of on the same page as you with that. I know I know people are wanting disagreements in this, but Mark Godbeer looks like a comic book character i mean he is <laughs> very scary that is a yeah. scary scary man mm-hmm. so yeah I, prior prior to the podcast i was actually watching his fights in bama and he just i mean he overwhelms guys his fight with uh thomas denham i mean just clipped him and it was just over denham just flashed the canvas and got finished off by tko and this fight with stewart yeah. austin who's actually a very good prospect in himself and he eventually just overwhelmed Stuart Austin. So Daniel Spitz, and you're glossing over that Cabbage Carrera win, man. Come on. <laughs> Vintage Cabbage Carrera. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Cabbage Carrera is a throwback. I love that. But that is Daniel Spitz's most notable win. And I just I just see Mark Godbeard getting his first UFC win here. And 
Yeah. I got Godbeer by knockout in the first round. Yeah, yeah, I agree there. Godbeer, he's the much more experienced guy here. He's fought in the better promotions. And like we said, I mean, Daniel said, yeah, like he's undefeated, but he just he hasn't faced a high level of competition. And even in those fights, like like the like the Koreana fight, like he looked okay, but nothing like really noteworthy. Like he's kind of okay everywhere, but there, I don't see anything particularly dangerous about his overall game. He's pretty good in the clinch. I guess that would be his strongest area. He has some decent knees and dirty boxing, and he's okay when he when he gets his opponents to the ground. But I'm just not seeing anything that makes me think that he's going to be overly dangerous against Margadir. I'm not seeing like a wealth of power or, you know, like an overly strong grappling game or anything like that. I just think that Mark Godbeer, he has more power on the feet. I think he's going to be the stronger of the two guys. So if he wants to put Daniel Spitz on his back, I think that he can do that. And yeah, I think that he's just going to go in there. He's going to be more technical. And I think he's just going to overwhelm Daniel Spitz in his debut. And like you said, I think Godbeer finishes him pretty early, getting that stoppage due to strikes probably within the opening round. I think the main thing about Daniel Spitz is what we're both taking away. There's there just isn't enough film on the guy to get an accurate representation of what type of fighter he is or isn't. So, yeah. I mean, that's kind of why you have to go with Godbeer. I mean, Godbeer's a vet. He's been out here mm-hmm. doing the damn thing for years. And I just, I think he's going to overwhelming, barring Daniel Spitz coming out and just looking extremely improved over his last performances. I just don't see that happening. So I, I agree with you on Godbeer, uh, KO round one. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think Godbeer is definitely the, uh, the the safer pick here. And with that, we move on to a very interesting Bantamweight matchup between Yuri Alcantara and Luke Sanders. Yuri Alcantara, I mean, he's been in the UFC for quite a long time now. He's kind of been up and down uh, as of late, but he is coming off of a very impressive first-round submission win over Brad Pickett. I think that helped him get back on track. No, taking on Luke Sanders, who made his UFC debut against Maximo Blanco, and he looked really good there. I mean, it was it was a while ago, uh, back in uh, January of 2016, but he looked very good there. It was a short-notice fight for him. He was fighting at featherweight, which obviously isn't his normal weight class, and he still looked really good. He managed to hurt Blanco and then finish him with a rear naked choke early on. And I'm really excited to see what Luke Sanders can do in the UFC now that he's fighting at his natural 135-pound weight class. And I think this will be a tough test for both guys. Um, Alcantara, he's pretty good everywhere. He has really good striking. He has good power in his hands. You saw it in his knockout or Vaughn Lee. Uh, and he's also very good on the ground. He has dominant ground and pound, really good elbows, really good at taking your back. And he can lock on a submission in just lightning quick fashion, too. And Luke Sanders is really good. He trains, I believe, still out of the MMA lab, if I remember correctly. And he's undefeated 11 and 0, and he's pretty well rounded. He has a good wrestling base, but he's really good in the clinch, too. Really good knees, elbows, just boxes guys up from a really close distance and then eventually takes him down, batters him with ground and pound, and looks for submission openings. I think this is going to be a really fun fight. What about you, Matt? What does Luke Sanders do to get these matchups? I mean, they're not doing <laughs> him any favors. They're, all right, we're going to start you off with Maximo Blanco, who's a 
good, talented UFC fighter. You know, his yeah. record's spotty, but he's still a nine-fight UFC vet, you know, as of now. Mm-hmm. And now they're, I mean, he, he passed that test with flying colors, so let's just, we'll just put him up against Yuri Alcantara, and we'll just see where the chips fall. I mean, good, goodness. <laughs> That's so horrible. <laughs> I feel so bad for him. I mean, and he passed, like I say, he passed that Maximo Blanco fight with flying colors, but now he is just, Yuri Alcantara is a savage that guy mm-hmm. is and he's 36 years old but he's getting better and he's I, I just feel like he's one of those fighters who just never reached his potential but his last fight against that brad pickett fight that was potential i mean a spinning back elbow to rock brad pickett then got mm-hmm. in the full mount a full mounted triangle then transitioned to an arm bar then transitioned back to a triangle arm bar <laughs> and finished the fight i mean that's just that's as impressive as it gets against Brad Pickett, too, who's tough as nails. But, yeah, I mean, Luke Sanders, his, like, like you were saying, the Blanco fight, he caught Blanco on the way out, rocked him with a left-right combination, and then quickly finished with a rear naked choke on the ground. And he's undefeated. He's a young guy. He fights out of the MMA lab, like you were saying, which is a really good camp. I mean, yeah, he's 11 yeah. and 0, so... It's going to be an interesting fight, but, man, you would – I just – I don't know. I, it's just hard for me to see a guy coming in on a second UFC fight. Even though he is a vet in a way Luke Sanders is, Yuri Alcantara is a vet, 33-7, and seven, now 34-7. and seven. I mean, mm-hmm. I just don't know how Luke Sanders gets past that guy. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's one of the closer matchups on this whole card because Alcantara – He's one of the more well-rounded guys at Bantamweight, in my opinion, thanks to his really good Muay Thai and Jiu-Jitsu. Like you said, he is getting up there, like to be 36, to be a professional fighter, but in his last fight, he's really shown no signs of slowing down. One thing that does have me a little bit hesitant with Alcantara is that he can sometimes be a bit inconsistent with his performances. Like, um... The fight with uh, Frankie Signs, he really didn't. He, he just kind of didn't seem to be all there for that fight. And then the Leandro Issa fight, even though he won, his fight IQ looked a little bit spotty to me, and that had that has me a little bit concerned to pick Alcantara. But that being said, he's still like the most dangerous guy that Luke Sanders has ever faced. Um, Sanders just looks fantastic in his debut against, a, like you said, a dangerous guy in Maximo Blanco, but uh, Sanders just dominated him. I I am leaning towards Sanders ever so slightly. This one, it's, yeah, it's really close, but I'm leaning towards Sanders based on, I think, his wrestling. We saw a little bit in the Frankie Sines fight that when Alcantara is put on his back and he can't really find those submission openings, he does tend to struggle. And so I would like to see Sanders try to exploit that and try to get top position and try to uh, control Alcantara for the majority of the fight. That being said, he will need to be careful because Alcantara is so active. But I do think that Luke's wrestling will be the key difference here. I'm going to go a different way with it. I like Luke Sanders. I think he's a, I mean, a really good prospect in this division. But, I mean, I, they're just giving 
they're giving him a handful. I mean, his, you know, we have that Blanco fight to go off of, but he had, I mean, he's had other fights in the RFA. And so mm-hmm. I just see Yuri Alcantara, I see them going out, getting into mad scrambles, getting into mad exchanges. I think Yuri Alcantara drops him and then finishes mm-hmm. the fight in the second round by a knockout. Okay. Yeah, I think that's definitely a possibility. I'm I'm still leaning towards Sanders based on that wrestling edge. I think that he can outwork Alcantara from a close distance in the clinch and then try to rough him up and get him to the ground. And then I think he can ride out the decision. But either way, it's going to be a really, really fun fight. And I, I wouldn't be surprised to see either guy get their hand raised. I'm, just, I'm leaning towards Sanders just a little bit based on his wrestling, based on that uh, Frankie Science fight. But um, from that point, we're going to the next matchup, a really, really good featherweight fight between Mursad Bektik and Darren Elkins. Uh, Matt, give us your, your thoughts on this fight here. Darren Elkins is going to go out there and Darren Elkins' his way to a victory. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Darren Elkins, you can count him out all you want, but he's here to stay. I mean, mm-hmm. he's, he's on a three-fight win streak now against really good guys, Robert Whitford, Chaz Skelly, and Godofredo Pepe. And I just, he just, he makes good guys look bad. That's, that's all Darren Elkins does. He goes out there and he makes really good guys look bad. And Mr. Beckdick is a really, really talented fighter. I'm very excited to see his UFC career you know, bloom. But, this is just, and this is a fight. This is, Darren Elkins has played this position. He's played spoiler so many times. Back when uh, Hatsu Hayoki was a big, big, talented 145er, and everybody was just so excited for him to be in the division to challenge, you know, Jose Aldo eventually. Darren Elkins went out there, and Darren Elkins is way to a decision. I mean, <laughs> Diego Brandau, another guy at the time we were all excited about. Darren Elkins played spoiler with that. I mean, he plays spoiler time and time again. And although Ms. Rabbektik is a very talented fighter, I think this will be a learning experience for him and how well-rounded he is. I just think Darren Elkins is going to go out there and smother him like he does to everyone. Yeah. Yeah, it's the thing with Darren Elkins is that you know exactly what you're going to get when you face him. The problem is, it's just trying to negate it. You know, he he's great from a close distance. He's really durable. Like he, and he takes like he can just take a beating and then just keep going. You know, that's why that's actually why they call him the damage. It's because he can take so much punishment. Um, and then he likes to place you on your back, control you, and then just kind of pepper you with ground and pound throughout his fights. Now, Mursad Bektik, I think, is one of the best prospects at. 145. Yeah, he's just, he's a really, really talented guy. He fights out of the American top team, one of the best camps out there. And he's really well-rounded. His best strength would be his grappling. He's really good at placing guys on their back and looking for submission openings while also controlling them and uh, punishing them with ground and pound. Now, the big thing is that the big thing we have to look out for is whether or not Mursad Bektik can keep Darren Elkins off of him. You know, he, he, he's so good at just making guys carry his weight. And we don't know if Bektik, we haven't really seen Bektik fight off of his back all that much. 
And that's going to be a big question here. We did see him face Chaz Skelly, who's a little bit similar of a matchup to Darren Elkins. And Rashad Bechtick was able to get the win there. But that being said, I mean, Chaz Skelly also came up short against Darren Elkins. So Darren Elkins is a little bit better with that just grinding, grueling style. It's it's a really, really tough fight to predict just because, like you said, Elkins is really good at making guys look bad. And... He, he, I don't, I don't see him like really fight, like facing the title, like fighting for the title anytime soon. But he's a guy that's always going to hang around and be a tough test for practically everyone that he faces. I am, I'm leaning towards Bektik here. I think that he's a little bit more well-rounded, but I wouldn't be surprised if Elkins were able to grind out a decision, though. And that's, I just, that's kind of how I'm saying is that. This Rob Begdick is just—he's very talented. He's very well-rounded. He—he's the complete package. But I mean, everybody goes to the Darren Elkins fight, and it's time for Mr. Rob Begdick to pay the piper. And he's gonna—Darren <laughs> Elkins is gonna give him his first loss. It's gonna be—I mm-hmm. mean, we're not gonna see anything that Darren Elkins. Darren Elkins ain't gonna go out there and surprise us with a spinning back fist or flying knee. <laughs> Yeah, but he's gonna he's gonna go out there and he's gonna dare Elkins's way to that decision and get a fourth win in a row is what my, I think is gonna happen. Okay, yeah, I definitely wouldn't be surprised to see that. I do think that Beckett's more polished <coughs> overall, like more well-rounded game will help him here. I think that his stand-up is a little bit better, and I think that his pure jiu-jitsu and wrestling can help him in some of the scrambles that that Elkins can bring to the table. I think the the big question is whether or not uh, Bektik can kind of find that separation and find the space when on the ground and not just be smothered by by Elkins. I am leaning towards Bektik based on his more well-rounded style and how good he's looked so far. I don't think he's going to be able to finish Elkins because, like, you know, Darren is very durable. But I do think that he can actually score with takedowns of his own uh, place Elkins on his back and kind of control him and win a decision there. But either way, I do see this one going to the scorecards, and it could be really, really close. Like we could see a split decision there too, but really could go either way. Uh, and I think it'll be, I think it'll be a good test for for Beckick right now and trying to determine kind of where he's at in the in the featherweight division. But uh, based on that, we will now move on. To the featured prelim, we have a heavyweight matchup between Marcin Tybura and Luis Enrique. Uh, Marcin Tybura, he came up short in his UFC debut when he fought Tim Johnson. He was a really big prospect at the time, and uh, Johnson kind of played spoiler there. But uh, Tybura did bounce back with a really impressive second-round head kick knockout over Victor Pesta. And he'll be facing Luis Enrique, who... He fought just a monster in Francis Ngannou in his UFC debut. I mean, that was kind of before anyone knew how good Ngannou was going to be in the UFC. And so he suffered a knockout there, but he did come back to win two straight submission wins over Dmitry Smolyakov and Christian Colombo. He's a pretty straightforward jiu-jitsu fighter, and it'll be interesting to see if he's going to actually kind of develop his game to a more stable condition since he's only 23. But, uh, Matt, how about giving us your thoughts on that matchup? Tibera is – that fight against Victor Pesta, I mean, that head kick, it was as yeah. smooth as it gets, and it, it separated Victor Pesta from the senses. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. and he had a rough he had a rough go of it against Timothy Johnson. Timothy Johnson is no joke. I mean, he yeah. he may not look menacing. Timothy, I mean, no one's watching Timothy Johnson come into the room and just shaking with fear. But mm-hmm. Timothy Johnson is a tough customer for anyone. And Tiberia, he bounced back with that win against Victor Pesta. And then Luis Enrique is very talented, very young but also very green. He has a really mm-hmm. good submission game, but I think Tiberio is going to light him up. That's that's what yeah. I think is going to happen. I think Enrique is very good, and I think he's going to be a very good heavyweight prospect for the future. But I think Tiberio is ready now, and I think Tiberio is going to go out there and show that striking that he showed against Victor Pesta and come out with a dominant knockout win. Yeah, I agree here. Um, the thing with Luis Enrique is that while his grappling is good, like you said, that like he kind of lacks the experience, especially with his defense. That's one of the big reasons why he came up short against Ngannou is because he has a really bad tendency to get really aggressive on the feet, even though he doesn't have the technical skills to really back it up, and that results in him getting tagged quite often. And you really can't do that against a guy like Tybura who has that kind of power. Now, one thing that I am concerned about for Tybura here is that we saw in the Timothy Johnson fight is that if he can start, he can start off very aggressive and find those openings to land his big punches. But if he can't find the finish, then he can sometimes tire himself out. And then that resulted in Timothy Johnson taking him down and then punishing him with his ground and pound. Now, Enrique is not quite as durable as Johnson showed in that fight, but he is a really strong guy. We saw him like the Colombo fight. He's really good at just kind of picking you up and slamming you down and getting on top of you and, and suffocating you. And so I could see that possibly happening if he's able to survive that early onslaught. But the thing is, I don't think he'll be able to do that. I think that Tybura will find those openings on the feet, and once he connects, I think that Henrique will already be in pretty serious danger. So unless Henrique can really sharpen his defense and try to hope to take the fight into deeper waters, then I think that then I think that he could grind out a win with his superior grappling. But the striking advantage that Tybura brings to the table here is just so noticeable and it's so drastic that I think that he'll be able to find an opening to finish the fight sooner rather than later here. Yeah, I'm on the I'm on the same page as you are with that synopsis. I mean, like you were saying, Enrique, to run into Francis Ngannou in your prof- or in your UFC debut, that's, that's so tough. I mean, and like yeah. you were saying at the time, no one knew how good Ngannou was going to be. And, mm-hmm. you know, I have, a, I have an article up at Funky Monkey MMA kind of saying, about how Ngannou may be the greatest heavyweight we've seen in some time. Shameless plug. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I just, I, I mean, I'm a, I'm agreeing with you. It's it's Tiberio all the way for me by knockout in the first round. Yeah, I agree. I think that Tiberio is going to go out there, be pretty aggressive, and find <clears throat> that opening pretty quickly and be able to finish the fight via knockout within the opening five minutes. All right, so that'll do it for the first portion of this podcast. We will come back with the second episode where we will break down the entire main card. It's a really good uh, fight card here. I'm really looking forward to breaking it down. But for now, we'll end it here. Uh, I want to thank Matt Webb for joining us. Uh, Matt, do you want to throw out any like social media tags or anything like that? 
Uh, yes, you can find me on Twitter at Matt Cole Webb. And, it, I mean, there's some MMA stuff in there. There's some other stuff. And then you can also find me on Funky Monkey MMA. And I will have an article out as soon as I possibly can, hopefully in the next two weeks or so. All right, sounds good. Yeah, we'll keep an eye out for that. And as always, make sure to like us on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter at Funky Monkey MMA. You can follow me on Twitter at Kane E. Miller. And you can keep following the site for the latest interviews, event photos, and analysis pieces. We'll see you next time. Legends of the Cage, proud sponsor of Funky Monkey MMA Radio, helping legends of yesterday and tomorrow. You can find them on Twitter at TrueMMAHOF or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Legends of the Cage or go to the website, LegendsOfTheCage.com. That's Legends of the Cage together with Funky Monkey MMA Radio. You can listen to Funky Monkey MMA Radio on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Blog Talk Radio, Player FM, Cash Roller, the TuneIn Radio app, MMAFutures.com, LoveMMA.com, MMAWreckage.com, and FightBookMMA.com. For the freshest news and notes on all things MMA, get over to FunkyMonkeyMMA.com. Interested in sponsoring the show? Then send an email to FunkyMonkeyMMA at gmail.com. You're listening to Funky Monkey MMA.